Yo, what's going on, everybody? This is Austin coming at you with another episode of the Coffee Break Hems podcast. Well, welcome everybody to 2022, um, entering season three of the podcast, um, which is amazing. Never thought I would get past episode five um, back in early 2020, um, but here we are, um, almost 50 episodes into this thing, um, and I could not um, and cannot express my appreciation for all the folks that um, keep coming back, uh, you know, week after week, um, listening to uh, my stuff here. Um, so coming into 2021, I kind of made it a priority to try to involve more people, um, more clinicians in uh, kind of driving how this material is delivered. And so I turned to uh, old handy dandy Instagram and Facebook and uh, started posing some questions over the past few weeks and um, got a ton of interaction, which was super fantastic. And I love to be able to kind of talk back and forth with people instead of this, um, you know, kind of monologue on the podcast sometimes. So one of the questions um, that I posed was a ventilator related question. And as we always do, um, or as we seem to be creating the trend for at the beginning of each year, um, we are going to be talking about some ventilator management related stuff. But before we get into the bulk of the podcast here, um, one little announcement that I feel super um, safe in finally announcing um, is that, uh, you know, one thing I've noticed um, over the past several years is that um, very frequently, uh, not very frequently, um, but every time I do a ventilator episode or a some sort of vent management type episode, those always seem to be the most, um, the most downloaded episodes and they still, each one of them accrue more and more listens, um, almost every single week. Um, and so I started to realize that there may be a huge thirst for some additional ventilator type, um, education out there. And so I started doing a little research, um, on some vent books, some vent management books and, um, came across obviously a few, you know, there's a few of the big names that kind of circulate around, but after looking at each one of these and after really getting deep into it, I kind of l was left still wondering if there was something out there that had more of a recipe, um, you know, something that could say like, hey, you know, A to Z, like how do I, how do I accomplish, um, you know, adequate ventilation management in a critically ill patient, especially in the pre-hospital setting. And so um, that is what I decided to set out to do. For, so for the past several months, um, I have been writing a book on ventilation management, and it will be coming out in the next several months. Um, um, uh, so be on the lookout for it. Um, in the next several episodes, I'll uh, release a little bit more information about it, start taking some pre-orders at some point as well, but just wanted to finally officially announce that um, the medics or the flight medics approach to mechanical ventilation is a thing that is going to happen, um, and uh, it'll be uh, on the horizon very, very shortly. All right, so let's get in to the case. So the question that I had posed online was that you have this 45-year-old man who's got ARDS, and you have him intubated and ventilated. He's on assist control volume. He's got a respiratory rate of 18. His tidal volume's chilling around like 5 mLs per kilo. He's got an eye time of one second, 
a PEEP of 18 and an FiO2 of 100%. And so they have walked up the PEEP and FiO2 scale using kind of the ARDSNET strategy um, over the last several hours and uh, days, really. Um, and current oxygen saturation is still 84%, and entitled CO2 is 38. This patient is not profoundly acidotic. Um, and so that uh, respiratory rate of 18 seems to be doing well for them. And my question was very simple, like, what is your next move? What's the next thing you're going to do for this patient to continue to optimize their oxygenation? And I got a ton of different responses and some of them were great. Some of them, um, uh, were, you know, kind of beaten around, um, where we maybe wanted to be. And so I thought I'd take this opportunity to really talk about like what my next move would be and why. And it all starts off with the very simple concept of like, what is oxygenation on a ventilator? How do you create an improvement in oxygenation in a human being when they are being mechanically ventilated? And if you've listened to my previous talks on like how not to murder somebody on a ventilator um, and and many other talks on pre-oxygenation, um, the last episode uh, that we did a few weeks ago right before Christmas um, on the myths of RSI, I talked a lot about pre-oxygenation as well, utilizing PEEP and FiO2. And so if you're a listener to the podcast, then you should know that PEEP and FiO2 are huge components to providing improvement to oxygenation in a patient. And increasing the FiO2 should be blatantly obvious, right? If you increase the concentration of gas that we are exposing to the lungs, then the oxygen is going to go up. Um, but if some sort of alveolar shunt is going on or the, or the lungs are really atelectatic, then you're not able to push that gas that you're providing into the lungs or you're into the alveoli. And so in order to mitigate that issue, we increase the PEEP. Now, what does PEEP really do, right? So PEEP increases something called the functional residual capacity in the lungs. And we know that the functional residual capacity is a very simple um, uh, simple kind of measurement. So as you're breathing right now, you're breathing in and out. Um, at the very end of your expiratory period, so like right before you're getting ready to breathe in your next breath, you are actually able to force a ton more gas out of your body, a way more than your tidal volume, right? Your tidal volume is sitting around five mLs per kilo, and you're able to exhale, forcibly exhale, like another 15 milliliters for every kilo of your ideal body weight. So like three times your tidal volume. Um, and that's your expiratory reserve volume. And that is one of the biggest things that our PEEP, that, that putting PEEP into the ventilator um, does, is it helps to improve your expiratory reserve. In your pulmonary circuit all the time, in your non-compressible, non-expandable airways, you have your dead space, um, also called your residual volume. And that's another like 15 milliliters per kilo. So when you take those two things together, when you take your expiratory reserve, which is all that gas you can force out, and you add it to your residual volume, i.e. your dead space, that gives you about 30 milliliters per kilo of your ideal body weight. And that is your functional residual capacity. Functional residual capacity equals oxygenation. If you have less FRC or functional residual capacity, then your oxygenation goes down, right? So if you have somebody with pulmonary edema from CHF, that edema is taking up some amount of their expiratory reserve volume or some amount of their dead space, and your oxygenation goes down because the surface area of the lung that is able to participate in gas exchange goes down. And so if we increase the PEEP 
and we increase the surface area of those lungs and we increase that expiratory reserve volume again because we're forcing more peep, i.e. we're forcing more volume to stay in the lungs between breaths, then you are going to end up maintaining recruitment a lot more and your oxygen is going to go up. And so, and I've preached that a bunch. And so that probably isn't a big point of learning for anybody, right? So increase your PEEP, increase your FiO2, your oxygenation goes up. But when we talk about PEEP and we talk about recruitment, what does PEEP do? Does it gain recruitment or does it maintain recruitment? And a lot of people get that wrong. PEEP does not forcibly recruit the lung. PEEP maintains recruitment. And so if PEEP only maintains recruitment, then how do we actually recruit more lung to participate in gas exchange, right? So in order to kind of conceptualize that, we think about the balloon theory, right? So if we have a balloon in our hand um, and we are blowing on this balloon. Um, let's say we fully inflate the balloon, right? Um, and then we we let a bunch of air out of the balloon. The balloon's getting smaller and smaller. And then we kind of pinch the mouth of the balloon off and we force like a hundred milliliters of air to stay in the balloon. That would be like maintaining, you know, five or eight of PEEP. Now, in order for us to recruit the lung again in order for us to fill the balloon again we breathe into it right we force air into it and at the peak of that that uh, inflation of the balloon that is when you have absolute full recruitment inside of that balloon right the balloon is completely full and then as we release air and release air and release air and we pinch it off when there's only that 100 milliliters left in the balloon that's our peep and so our peep is maintaining that balloon's recruitment it is keeping the balloon from completely collapsing down but it's not fully recruiting the lung what actually gains recruitment inside of somebody is the breath the tidal volume that's how you get recruitment you gain you gain alveolar opening during inspiratory periods during the actual physical breath that you're putting into the patient you just help those alveoli from collapsing by maintaining peep inside of that lung and so now when you think about oxygenation you kind of have to break it in half a little bit right so yes about 60 to 80 percent of the time that balloon is at its almost kind of deflated state, right? It's at its peep level state. Um, you're during an expiratory phase. And so the peep is keeping that balloon open and helping that balloon to perform or helping that alveoli um, to, um, uh, to be able to perform gas exchange um, in the lung. But then you have a ton of recruitment during the breath. And so Oxygenation is really two things. Oxygenation is your PEEP and your FiO2, meaning your functional residual capacity and your FiO2. But oxygenation also comes during the breath because you're exposing the lungs to fresh gas. You're maximally increasing the surface area of the lung during your breath. And so we really have to think of oxygenation in those two ways. It's not just your PEEP and your FiO2. It also occurs during the breath.
But that can be a really dangerous road to travel down, right? When you start to think about oxygen as something that happens during the inspiratory phase, people will start jacking with the tidal volume, thinking that that's going to fix all their problems. And all that's going to do is make the lungs really unhappy, and then they're going to die. And so um, we have to be very careful when we start talking about that second aspect of oxygenation being during the inspiratory phase. And so that's why in mechanical ventilation, when we're looking to improve oxygenation in a patient, we start with the PEEP and we start with the F. FiO2 because we need to find the, the optimum recruitment, the optimum maintenance of recruitment in that balloon before we start even talking about jacking with the inspiratory side of that lung. So the first thing that we need to talk about then is how to adjust the PEEP and how to adjust the FiO2. And then when do we stop doing that? And when do we realize that the PEEP is no longer doing us a favor? And we then have to start looking at the inspiratory side of the breath to continue improving oxygenation. And it's actually pretty simple. So let's say we've got that balloon back in our hands, right? And that balloon is completely deflated or deflated. We have the, you know, we have the mouth of the balloon kind of between our lips and that balloon is totally limp, like sitting down against our chin. Um, we have no peep in that balloon right now. And now let's blow the balloon up all the way. And then let's set our peep to eight. Um, and people have a really hard time kind of conceptualizing the, the, the idea of PEEP, right? And so if you have a hard time with that, then just think of it as a volume that you're keeping in the lungs, right? So currently in this balloon, we have, you know, 700 milliliters of volume or something like that. And as we let that balloon deflate and deflate and deflate and deflate, as soon as it gets to like 200 milliliters that are still trapped inside of that balloon, um, we pinch it off. And we keep that 200 milliliters inside of the balloon the whole time. That is like your eight of peep. And so now during our next breath, um, as we forcibly open that balloon back up, you already are starting off with like 200 milliliters of gas that is being trapped in there. And it's going to get like washed out as you get that new breath in there. But then you're going to just put another 500 milliliters into the balloon. Um, and so you still end up with like a total of 700 milliliters that's inside of this balloon, but you are only actually physically exchanging like five. 500 of it, i.e. that's like your breath, right? And so one thing that we notice though, when we blow that balloon up the second time is that it was way easier to do it the second time than it was the first when the balloon was starting off from just being totally limp with like zero of peep, right? During that first breath, you had to overcome all of that kind of opening pressure to first try to pop that balloon open. And so when you increased that peep or when you put peep into that circuit, that peep of eight, and you trap that 200 milliliters in there between breaths, you actually did two things. Yes, you improved their oxygenation, but what you also did was you made it easier for the balloon to inflate during the second breath. That is a concept called compliance. And so not only does PEEP improve oxygenation, but it also improves lung compliance to a point. And so those two things, an improvement in oxygenation and an improvement in compliance, those two things always really have to be present in order for us to continue increasing PEEP. 
And so people ask me all the time, like, I get it. If the patient is not saturating well, we're going to go up by two of PEEP, and then we're going to go up by like 10% on our FiO2, and then like two of PEEP, and we're going to keep bouncing back and forth and increasing our PEEP, then increasing our FiO2. But like, when do we stop? And like, when is, what, what PEEP is too much PEEP? And the, when do we stop? That's a really easy answer. But the what is too much PEEP, that's not really an easy answer because every single person's lungs are different. Like everybody's lung is totally different. And so, you know, sometimes 10 of PEEP is like, is enough and is is almost way too much PEEP for somebody. Maybe 18 is the perfect number. Maybe 24 is the perfect number. I would say that that's pretty rare that 24 would be the perfect number. But, um, but I mean, on average, when you're looking at an adult person, I would say 12 to 14 of PEEP is probably like the perfect number for most people that if you go beyond that, it's not going to do anything good for them. But some people it's not. Some people need to get all the way up to like 18 in order for them to have that optimal compliance. And so how can we tell if increasing PEEP is doing good things for us? So we'll go back to the balloon, right? So we had eight of PEEP and it was definitely easier to inflate the balloon. It was, um, uh, it was, uh, the, the, the compliance improved the static compliance improved, um, which this is a this is a, a setting that you can find on any ventilators, right? You can run a, a maneuver, or if you are looking at waveforms, you can generally measure their dynamic compliance. Um, and so this is something that you don't have to like learn a calculation for. Um, you can just look at the compliance, and if the number goes up, then the compliance got better. And so when you have a to peep, and this guy's oxygen saturations totally suck, um, and so you make the decision like, hey, I'm going to go up on my peep and my FiO2. So we go up to ten a peep, we go up to seventy percent FiO2. Or something like that. And then we blow the balloon up again. And we see, hey, we went from eight a peep to 10 a peep. And it was actually easier to blow the balloon up again. Like it actually was easier to put this 500 milliliters in than it was to put it in when we only had eight a peep. And so not only did the compliance improve, but the oxygen saturation also went up to about 78% over the course of, you know, 30 minutes or so. And so our peep gained two goals for us. We not only improved their compliance, making their total lung pressures probably lower, but we also improved their oxygen saturation. But we're still not at our oxygen saturation goal of like 93%. And so we go up on our PEEP and our FiO2 again, and then we continue going down this path. And so we need to get to the point where the PEEP that we're keeping inside of this balloon is still making it to where the balloon has an easier time filling during the next breath. But if you're imagining a balloon right now, it should be pretty obvious to you that like if you're keeping uh, you know that 200 milliliters in the balloon between breaths, then like yeah, it's like super easy to put your next breath in. And then if you increase that peep to 10, meaning now you're keeping like 250 milliliters in between breaths, it's even easier to put that volume in. But as you continue to go up to like 12 or 14 or 16 of peep, now we're keeping like 400 milliliters inside of that balloon between breaths. And now we may reach a point where we start to notice that it's actually harder to put that 500 milliliter breath into the balloon. And now you've reached a point where 
the peep that you've put into this circuit is starting to make the compliance go down because you're overstretching that alveoli. You're over recruiting that alveoli because of your peep. And so to answer the question, like, how do we step up PEEP and how do we step up FiO2? Just follow a PEEP scale. You're generally going to go up by two at a time on the PEEP. You're generally going to go up by five to 10% at a time on your FiO2. But once you've reached 100% FiO2 and once you're at, you know, 14, 16 or 18 a PEEP, you'll notice that if you go up on your PEEP again from like 16 to 18, then all of a sudden your static compliance goes from like 68 down to 62. So the number got smaller. Those were two like totally arbitrary numbers. So those, those don't matter. But, um, but uh, if you see after you increase the PEEP that your compliance goes down, PEEP is no longer the answer for you. And this is an incredibly rare situation, right? I mean, if anybody's done time on a mechanical ventilator, you'll know that like 95% of your patients, you do A to PEEP and 50% FiO2 and their SATs are great. But every once in a while, you run into these patients where they are profoundly hypoxic. You've increased your PEEP, you've increased your FiO2, you keep increasing your PEEP and you're like, man, I've increased my PEEP twice and like I haven't gotten a single increase in my oxygen saturation by even like 1%. Obviously in that case, the PEEP is not doing anything good for you, but we probably could have recognized that a little earlier if we would have turned our attention to the compliance because I would venture to guess that if you increased your PEEP from 12 to 14 to 16 to 18 and your SATs haven't come up at all during that time, that you probably have just been perpetually making the compliance go down over your last several changes um, and you haven't been doing anything good for your patient. And so when you are stepping up PEEP, the whole answer to when do we stop, it's we stop increasing the PEEP as soon as we see that an additional increase in the PEEP, an additional increase in the two centimeters of water pressure that we step up by is making the compliance go down. And now we need to switch our approach. And now we need to start to look at the inspiratory side of the breath to help improve our patient's oxygenation. All right. So let's briefly go back to the case. So the case that 45 year old um, ARDS patient had 18 a PEEP and an FiO2 of 100%. And the every single time that the PEEP was increased from like 10 to 12 to 14 to 16 to 18, the compliance improved. However, the last change from 16 to 18, the compliance did not change at all. The compliance actually, uh, and I'll actually go one further, it actually did go down a tiny bit. And so that change from 16 of PEEP to 18 of PEEP was not beneficial for the patient. And you are no longer going to get a bang for your buck in order to improve the oxygen saturation. And so it's very difficult to kind of just solely focus on the the breath, the inspiratory side when you when you're now starting to target their oxygenation. And so the concept that we actually need to think about is a concept called mean airway pressure. And what mean airway pressure is it is the average amount of pressure that you are exposing to the lungs. And remember that if pressure doesn't, you know, doesn't do nice things inside your brain, you can just think of like pressure as volume, right? And so so mean airway pressure is the average pressure that we're exposing to the lungs all the time. But really what we're saying is it's like kind of the average volume that's been chilling in the lungs, participating in gas exchange this entire time. And we know that the PEEP is a huge part of that because at least, you know, 60% of your breath cycle, you're spending in the expiratory phase, you're spending um, at your 
peep. But, you know, 30 to 40% of the time, 20 to 40% of the time, you are spending it breathing in. And so if you take the average of those two, then that gives you your mean airway pressure. And mean airway pressure and blood pressure, you can actually think of like really the very, very similarly. If you're looking at somebody's blood pressure, you have this systolic, which is kind of like the breath. And then you have your diastolic, which is like the peep. And just like um, just like the heart spending about two thirds of the time in the diastolic phase um, and only about a third of the time in the systolic phase, obviously that changes a ton depending on your heart rate. But the lungs do the same thing, right? You spend about 60% of the time or more in that peep phase, and then you spend about 30% of the time or so, 30 to 40% in the inspiratory phase. And if you want the mean airway pressure to go up, peep gives you the biggest bang for your buck because you spend the most time at your peep. But if you've exhausted that, if you have increased and increased and increased your peep, and now your compliance is going down, we've got to turn our attention to the systolic, right? To the breath itself in order to now make that mean airway pressure go up. And there's two things that you can do to improve the mean airway pressure. And one does very, very little, but it's kind of an important thing to do. And then the next one does a bunch for your mean airway pressure. The first thing is that we are currently in a cyst control volume for this patient. And for this patient, this refractory hypoxic patient, despite utilizing the you know protective lung strategy, volume is probably not doing this guy any favors. Remember that when you're in a volume breath, you have a linear amount of flow that's coming into the lungs, right? So you've got like 30 liters per minute coming into the coming into the lungs um, over the course of your, you know, one second breath. And so the lungs don't actually reach their full tidal volume, that full, you know, 500 ml tidal volume until the very last split millisecond of the breath, right? And so they spend the entire breath just kind of accepting more and more and more and more volume. And so they don't reach their peak kind of pressure, their peak alveolar pressure until the very end of the breath. Um, and so you're pretty much wasting like the first, you know, half a second of your breath because there's like almost no volume that's being put into the lungs. Whereas if you switch this person to a pressure control mode of ventilation, you have a ton of flow up front. You might have 60 or 80 or a hundred liters per minute coming into the lungs during that first 0.3 to 0.4 seconds. And then the flow kind of tapers off and tapers off. And so what happens when you switch from volume to pressure is you are exposing the lungs to the peak pressure faster. You're exposing them to the lungs earlier in the inspiratory phase. And so you're going to get another, you know, half a second's worth of meaningful recruitment um, than, you know, than when compared to a volume breath. And so the first step that we're going to do for this guy, once the PEEP is, has been optimized and the FiO2 is at 100%, is that we are going to be switching this patient to pressure control ventilation. And we can still keep him in assist control, um, but we're just going to switch him from assist control volume to assist control pressure. Um, and that is going to ideally give you a pretty decent bang for your buck in that you really don't have to do anything other than switch them from volume to pressure, right? You're not making any other real changes. And oftentimes that can be more comfortable for your patient anyway. But the next thing is the 
real big ticket item that is going to manipulate your mean airway pressure. And so when we talk about mean airway pressure, it actually does help to like know what the calculation is. And we're not going to, you don't have to memorize it, but we'll talk about it. And so what the mean airway pressure is, um, which the, the, if you're looking at it in a textbook, you would see it as the PAW, the P-A-W, the, the airway pressure. So the PAW is equal to the PEEP plus the total amount of time that they spend breathing in during a minute times the delta pressure. And the delta pressure is the total amount of pressure that is coming into the lungs over the top of the PEEP in order to get the tidal volume that you want. And so when you're talking about a cyst control pressure, your delta pressure is whatever you've set your pressure control to. So let's just arbitrarily say that over the top of that 18 of PEEP, it took an additional 10 centimeters of water pressure in order to get you to that desired tidal volume. And so your delta pressure would be 10. And so when we know that when we're talking about the mean airway pressure, we're talking about the PAW, it is your PEEP plus like the total amount of time you spend kind of breathing in during the minute times your delta pressure um, or your pressure control. However, why do we change pressure control? We change pressure control for the purpose of lung protection, right? We change our tidal volume solely for the purpose of lung protection. So you can really erase that from the equation. You don't even need to talk about it because we're not going to change the volume of their breath in order to improve recruitment. We are only going to change the volume of their breath if we have to for lung safety. And so now we can only really turn our attention to that whole total amount of time that they spend breathing in every minute. And the total amount of time that they spend breathing in every minute is broken down into two components. It is your respiratory rate and your inspiratory time. So in this patient, we have a respiratory rate of 18 and we have an eye time of one second. But why do we change respiratory rate in a patient? Do we ever change respiratory rate in a patient for the purpose of improving their mean airway pressure? No. We change respiratory rate in a patient in order to target their CO2, right? We manipulate respiratory rate for the purpose of manipulating their CO2. So you can actually remove respiratory rate from that equation as well. And so the only thing that's left in that mean airway pressure equation outside of the PEEP is the eye time. And that is the big ticket item. In this refractory hypoxic patient, we have a PEEP of 18, we have an FiO2 of 100%, we can't go up on our PEEP anymore because our compliance is starting to go down. Um, and so increasing the PEEP to 20 would just make our compliance go even worse and it's going to be harder to fill the balloon. And so we don't want to do that for this patient. Our FiO2 is already at 100%, so we can't go any higher than that. And so now we have to turn our attention to the inspiratory phase and those three components, which is eye time, respiratory rate, and tidal volume. We're not going to manipulate the two of them. We're not going to manipulate respiratory rate or tidal volume. So the only thing left that we can manipulate is the inspiratory time. So let's actually put some numbers into this equation and see how they truly manipulate the mean airway pressure. And remember, mean airway pressure is just the amount of volume that we are exposing to the lungs on average in order to perform oxygenation. So the higher the mean airway pressure, the higher the oxygenation in this patient. And so the 
total amount of time that we currently have this patient breathing in every minute is just 18 times a minute and the respiratory rate is 18 and their eye time is a second. And so you just multiply the eye time by the respiratory rate, which is 18 times one, and you have 18 seconds per minute breathing in. The equation makes you kind of do it um, divided by 60. So you're talking about it with respect to like a one second period of time. And so you would just do that 18 divided by 60 seconds in a minute and you get 0.3. We had already talked about um, the, the pressure control in this patient being 10, right? It's taking 10 centimeters of water pressure to get that tidal volume that we want, that um, that five ml per kilo tidal volume that we currently have the patient on. And so if you have that total time with respect to a minute, you have 18 divided by 60, which is 0.3. And then you multiply that by your delta pressure, which is 10 currently, and you get three. Um, and so you are getting three centimeters of water pressure that are contributing to your mean airway pressure. And so if you add that to your PEEP, you have a mean airway pressure of 21 in that patient. Now let's elongate the eye time a little bit. Let's elongate the eye time to two seconds. So we're doubling the eye time. Well, if we double the eye time, then it would make sense that the amount of pressure that is that is contributing to their mean airway pressure um, during the inspiratory phase would double. If we double any one of the numbers, if we double our tidal volume, if we double our eye time, if we double our respiratory rate, then it's going to double the amount of pressure that we are exposing to the lungs during that inspiratory phase. And so the new inspiratory component of your PAW now becomes six. And when you do six plus 18, you get 24. And so when your eye time was only one second, your mean airway pressure was 21 centimeters of water pressure. Now, when you increase the eye time to two seconds, you now have a mean airway pressure of 24 centimeters of water pressure, which is way higher, right? You get a very similar kind of bang for your buck when you increase PEEP when it's down low, right? And so Increasing the eye time has significantly increased their mean airway pressure, and we had we can hopefully get this patient's oxygen saturation up into the 90s. All right, so that was like a super long, drawn-out explanation to say this very simple kind of recap. When you have a patient who is hypoxic, the first thing we're going to do is increase the PEEP in the FiO2. You're going to continue increasing the PEEP until you get to a point where the compliance starts to go down. And that can be static compliance or dynamic compliance. It depends on the ventilator that you're using. Uh, that'll, you know, they'll report one or the other. But you're going to continue going up on the PEEP until your compliance goes down. As soon as you are no longer improving compliance with your increases in PEEP, we need to switch to that refractory hypoxic strategy, which is to first transition them to pressure control ventilation, and then second, to elongate the eye time. Every time you double the eye time, you double the component of the pressure, um, uh, of the mean airway pressure that is being contributed to the lungs um, uh, during that inspiratory phase. And so we're gonna elongate that eye time to 1.5 or even two seconds, and that is going to increase our mean airway pressure very, very um, uh, drastically without increasing the overall compliance of the lung, which is kind of the, the whole purpose of this. And we can never forget that we need to make sure that we are not missing some 
profound acidosis. We're not fixing, or we're not missing some hemodynamic issue. Uh, the, we're not fixing some pulmonary perfusion issue, like does the patient need to be prone or whatnot. Um, and so we need to be thinking outside the lungs as well. But assuming that we are addressing all of those other issues appropriately, those are the sequence of events. PEEP and FiO2 until compliance goes down, then we go to pressure, then we elongate eye time. Um, and that is the whole concept of oxygenation is improving your mean airway pressure or the average pressure that you expose to the lungs every minute. All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that episode, the episode one of 2022. don't forget to be on the lookout for more updates on um, Instagram and Facebook about the um, ventilator book. Um, and as always, if you're looking to reach out, um, you can reach me by email at kaisercpr@gmail.com. That's K-I-S-E-R-C-P-R at gmail.com. And I'll see you guys in two weeks.